Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Jose Valim said they are planning two big announcements related to NX that will be coming out this April. One is Livebook, which he tweeted about and showed a logo for earlier, which we've also mentioned on the podcast. The second one will be coming from Sean Moriarty, so we don't know anything about that one yet. But Jose Valim released uh, the Livebook logo in his traditional teasing fashion now. I kind of describe it as a numbat reading a book, and Jose's tweet read, What happens when Phoenix LiveView meets the numbat? And so you can check out a link to his tweet in there where he shows the logo. Just looking at this, so that's just me like kind of guessing, but it makes me think of something like Jupyter Notebooks style projects. It was a coworker who was working in the machine learning space, and he was showing me this tool, the Jupyter Notebook stuff, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. And that was some years ago. And so Jupyter Notebooks is an open source web application that allows you to create and share documents that contain live code, equations, visualizations, and narrative text. And to me, that sounds like LiveView's a perfect fit. I don't have any inside information on this. That's just my opinion. I think this is where it could be going. But we'll see and we'll be sure to let you know when we learn more. What do you guys think? That's my guess. Exactly. To the point. Like, I think that's what's going to come from from that. But totally guessing. Not really sure. And if it's true that this comes out of this, I am super excited because there's one piece that I keep on running into with LiveView applications is a good collaborative text editor in LiveView. Like, you can do text area, you can create and update blobs of text, but not not necessarily collaboratively. For those collaborative tools, you have to drop down to something that exists in Node, or there's other servers out there that can do, like, uh, pieces of a document, like Google Docs kind of style. But nothing that really seems to be working for Elixir yet. So... Ah, maybe, maybe this will work ourselves towards getting, uh, getting something like that, which, <laughs> which would be super cool. And live view would be a perfect fit for that. A, a, a kind of streaming document style where that, that document is stored in, in chunks and like actions and updates and stuff instead of a blob. That'd be cool. Also, uh, uh, Elixir has a new case study out. This one is about PepsiCo. Here's a quote from it. The Elixir application plays a central role in a data pipeline that empowers PepsiCo's marketing and sales teams with tools to query, analyze, and integrate with several search marketing partners. I love it. Check out the the rest of the case study, but just like all of these case studies, like they're great examples of where Elixir has been plugging into, you know, high traffic, high data, high stakes processes and just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, towards the end, they talk a little bit to the hiring in Elixir, and they said, one of their software engineering managers says, we have met many engineers that, like us, found Elixir due to being burned out by previous experiences. So when it came to hiring, many Elixir candidates had a mindset similar to ours, which ultimately sped up the process. I loved that. I feel like it rings true a lot of times. Like a lot of the Elixir people, they're always coming from other language. Not always, but it seems common that people coming to Elixir are coming from other languages. and. I feel like it just kind of hit home for me being burned out. I certainly maybe got burned by another language or two that we won't speak of, but cool to hear about their hiring and cool that they're having successes and 
that's one of the things I've heard also expressed. You know, we've said it here before, but I, I've heard other people kind of express the sentiment that in order to really appreciate Elixir and specifically the Beam and what the Beam gives you, you have to have had enough experience with other systems to realize what they don't give you, and to appreciate <laughs> the runtime stability and and the guarantees that you can get. Yeah, I don't want to say that I was burned out by other languages, but I've learned lessons, lots of lessons from other languages. And I appreciate how, yeah, the Beam and Elixir helped me solve that. Well, one more thing about the case study, which I thought was interesting. It might be a little known fact that OTP has ODBC adapters. You know, new web devs probably have no idea what that means. But that's like an, um, oh, I, I might make people angry by saying this, but that's like an old school way of connecting to other data warehouses or other data d- databases, you know, maybe less common ones. So like, like Postgres, Postgres has, has adapters for this stuff. Basically anything that's like Java, they would go through this kind of connection. So I, I found it really interesting that they talk about that in the case study. And PepsiCo even released a little library uh, for, for handling some of that. Really interesting. I, I thought that was a, a, cl- a good use of something that exists in, in OTP, you know, and, and just to give you universal connections to other databases. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Next up, it looks like Elixir 112RC0 is out. So Elixir 112 is going to have quite a few. I mean, they say it's a small change, but there's some really cool stuff coming out in this version. For example, we talked a little bit with Wojtek Mach previously about the mix install work that he had done. That's coming out in 112, along with capturing exit codes. A cool little gem that I found in the release notes in an IEX terminal, if you've ever, or session, if you've ever pasted in one of your pipes and it happened to start with the pipe operator, it obviously didn't work. So they're fixing it so that whatever the previous result was would just automatically get piped in. So that's just a nice little helpful thing. Like you can just go get your record in the database, hit enter, paste in your pipe, and it will pipe the record into your pipe for you, right? Nice. That's a good little gem. I, I love that that's happening. I, I wonder how that came about. I mean, I'm just imagining somebody just cursing at the terminal, just like, why doesn't this work? You know, like I have my code right here. I just want to copy paste into IEX and it doesn't work. And there's yeah. like angrily typing away the code and submitting the patch and like, all right, fine. I fixed it. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> Yeah, that is super handy. Just because like, otherwise, yeah, you're wanting to copy code that's in your application, you want to just kind of run something in IEX, and it doesn't work, you have to like always kind of reformat it to either put it into single lines or have the pipe be up on the trailing characters of the line, you know, like that just solves that. And I think it's an elegant solution for it, too. It's just use whatever the previous returned value was, and just push that in. That's great. Uh, an episode or two ago, we also talked about the improved errors uh, coming from Erlang, uh, the runtime errors. So like these aren't necessarily compile time error messages that are getting better, though I'm sure there's some of that too. In runtime, if you have an argument error, you know, it might just say argument error. And that's it. It doesn't really give you any details. Now with 1.12, there's going to be improved error messages there. We gave some better examples before, but like it's going to tell you the first argument is supposed to be an ETS table. Like the error message will tell you that. And the second argument is supposed to be a tuple, and we got something else. You know, so it's going to be a much more descriptive, and this is uh, for many runtime errors, not just ETS. Uh, so that's that's going to be great. You know, error messages I think uh, in Elixir are uniquely, you know, really expressive and really helpful for getting you <laughs> back into a, a working system. So I appreciate that they're uh, continuing to approve that. 
Yeah, before this, there were two classes of errors, really helpful ones and argument errors. <laughs> <laughs> like you were saying, Cade, 1.12, they describe it as, like, officially the core team says, oh, it's, it's a small minor release. But, like, man, these are some really nice developer enhancements, just, like, quality of life things. And there's still some more. We got we, we to gotta mention a few more before we drop this topic. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it the JIT being a small release. <laughs> That's in this one. With the JIT and with the enhanced Erlang errors, those are both part of OTP24, right? So it's just like it's that mm-hmm. pairing of Elixir and the Erlang OTP24. So like, it's true it's not specifically Elixir features, but they are mm. Elixir was updated to kind of take advantage of some of those things. But one of the other ones is that is kind of specific to Elixir is that doc tests will compile much faster, often like two times faster. If you're using a lot of doc tests in your code, then you might really notice that. Another thing that's not specifically performance-related, as some of those previous ones were, we talked about this before when it was a proposal, but it's the stepped ranges. And this is the 1.10 kind of range. Honestly, you know, like behind the scenes, I was poo-pooing this. I was like, I don't get this. This this seems silly. You know, like to be able to say <laughs> one dot dot ten slash slash two. It's like to step by two. It's like, well, I can I can make it step by two if I want to step by two. When I was reading the change log, I got it. It's like, okay, I see what they're doing here. And if you've ever hit the situation where you have one dot dot and a variable to decide how many numbers you want in this set, and that n is ever zero then you end up with 1.0. And that becomes a decreasing range that will hold two numbers of 1 and 0. That's just because it's inferred that way because it looks at it and says, oh, you must be going down and 0. And that, but that's not what you want. Like, that's not what I wanted. I, I wanted an empty list. And with a range, there was no way to get an empty list. So what they're actually changing is making it so that instead of being implicit what the step size is of being a 1 or a negative 1, it is explicit. Now, it's going to be a gradual progression to get to that point. Like right now, it's a soft deprecation, and later it will become a warning. You have plenty of time to migrate any existing code. But it's one of those things where I think Elixir kind of favors, and the Elixir community favors explicitness over implicit. And this is one of those things where it's like, hey, we're going to make it a little bit more explicit that we want to step by one. So if I say one dot dot n, and n ends up being zero, but I have a slash slash one to say my step is one, it's going to say, oh, well, I'm not going to go negative, so you'll get an empty list. That's actually what I would have expected to happen originally. Yeah, this is good. This is a good change. I, I didn't understand the motivation before. Now I do. This is, this is going to be a good one. Two more functions we have to mention. There's uh, two functions added to kernel, then slash two and tap slash two. So then if you've ever gotten the situation where you have a pipeline and you're like making modifications to, you know, as you're piping data through it, and you're making all these transformations. And now at the bottom, you're wanting to execute a function, or maybe just halfway through the process, you want to execute a function, passing that current data to it. And it's just some function somewhere else that really wasn't designed for this pipeline. You know, maybe you're having to stick the value into like a third or fourth argument or into a map or something like that. Using the then function lets you do that, and will return the transformed data. I think this is just adding some syntactical sugar around piping into anonymous functions. I think that's that's the core of what's going on here. You're like you could do it today in in older versions of Elixir. You can pipe stuff into an anonymous function, but it looks weird. Like you're piping into dot 
open parentheses, and then you define your anonymous function. Just That just doesn't feel right, you know? It feels a little dirty to do that. So this then function is just going to wrap that into a little bit more prettier presentation to where it's a little bit more, maybe a little bit more obvious of what's, what's uh, uh, trying to happen here. It's something that new people to a project or to Elixir could actually read about and see in the docs and say, what is this? Okay, then I get what it is, as opposed to, yeah. you know, like your anonymous function thing. So that was kernel.then. There's a related function that was that's being introduced called kernel.tap. It's very similar. But the difference here, though, is that tap is not going to mutate your pipeline. So if you wanted to emit a side effect, for example, uh, you could do it with .tap, and it'll return the original value that you passed into it. I thought that was really clever, too. A good use case for that is if you're just wanting to write something to a database or send something out, like spawn an asynchronous task and then just keep going. Well, cool. Well, I think that wraps up the Elixir 1.12 news. And this is all in RC0. So I, I guess uh, things are still uh, up in the air to change a little bit. But I feel like those are going to be those are all going to be there. And these are all incredible changes. And paired with OTB24, it's going to be a good release. I feel like that's going to be a good one. Also in the news is that Wojtek Mach, our frequent favorite guest here on uh, Thinking Elixir, <laughs> is announced that he's he's going to release a new HTTP library. So yes, yet another one. We have HP Poison, we have Tesla, we have Finch, we have Mint, we have uh, HP Potion, we have all the built-in ones in OTP. Now we have another one from Wojtek Mach, and this one is called request maybe it's just req I, it used to be request now it's just req so rec i guess we're gonna wreck <laughs> and it's based on the finch library uh, which is a great move and uh, by the way finch is based on on mint so it has a different approach of opening up connections keeping those connections open finch adds some pooling options on there and i think that request here i'm, I'm calling it request so it's req request here is adding i'm i'm this is an observation it feels like he's adding Tesla-like modifications to it, right? So Tesla is another good HTTP library that allows you to plug in like middlewares into into your request pipeline to modify it. So one good example is that it can automatically decompress, you know, your your responses if they're if they're gzipped. It can automatically you know decode into into JSON, something like that. Rec seems to be more of a step into that direction. So I'm excited about it. And it's good to know that it's in it's in good hands with Wojtek Mach as well. Um, so interesting to know, interesting to see how how the world of HTTP clients uh, is evolving with uh, with Elixir. More choices. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he comes up with. Because I know when I first looked at Mint, some years ago, when that was first kind of announced, at least that I saw it, and Finch is built on top of that. So Finch's focus is really around performance. And the Mint and, and Finch libraries didn't really kind of work the way you would kind of expect it to if you're coming from HTT Poison. So I'm really interested just to see Voitech's take on this and what kind of API he wants to give because it's the goal is being a higher level kind of API to make some of those calls. And where Finch was and Mint were really focused on performance. So it, it'll be interesting to see that. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's good to see it uh, a little bit more plug like like API for making HTTP requests. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Next up, there is a pay what you want Elixir book that's being written and offered through online LeanPub. It is titled "Create a Cryptocurrency Trading Bot in Elixir" by Camille Scouron. I hope I pronounced that correctly. 
it's about uh, three-fourths complete and just wanted to let people know that it was there as a resource if you find that topic interesting. Open had a big release. 2.6 landed with a number of changes. Check out the changelog for more details. Uh, some of the big things in there are pluggable queue engines, recursive queue draining. There's a new gossip plugin that they're calling gossip that uses PubSub to efficiently exchange queue state information between uh, all the uh, interested nodes. Parker uh, mentioned that this was a big release. This looks like a big release, you know, pluggable queue engines being a big part of that uh, recursive queue draining to help improve uh, efficiency. All, this looks like a good one. So uh, go check out the changelog. See what uh, affects you there. A new NERVS build root version was released, which is 1.15. And the NERVS system build root provides the common logic for building NERVS systems. And it's a lower level piece of the NERVS stack. So if you're using NERVS, you're probably not touching the build root system at all. But you're just using that as one of those lower layers. But it's a really important layer because it is what adds support for the Beagle Bones and the Raspberry Pis and all the different hardware targets that they're wanting to support. Nice to see a new release there, and congrats to them. Speaking of hardware, Pure Street Singer has the GRISP 2 board up for pre-order with Nerve support. If you haven't heard of this, think Nerves, but it's a dedicated board for running Erlang on pure metal, right? Like it's it's actually made for Erlang. So a really cool project. I'm really happy to see that it got funded. This, this It got funded a, wh- a while ago, but the, the pre-orders are up now. So if you want to get your hands on one of these boards, go do it. And uh, just heads up, like you may have heard the name Pierre Street Singer before. He's on the board, I believe, of uh, the Earl F Foundation, the Erlang uh, Ecosystem Foundation. So name that's been around for quite a while, making good stuff uh, and apparently into hardware. So there he is making his own board. Really, really cool stuff. And last up, for all of my macOS friends out there, ASDF released an update where Erlang will now install a pre-compiled binary. So no longer waiting 10 or 15 minutes to install Erlang when you change versions. And that's it for the news. Today's special guest is Marcin Lewandowski. Marcin, thank you for coming. Welcome to the show. Hello. Um, I'm glad to come here. I'm excited to talk with you because you work on the Membrane project. And Membrane is something that I've, I've been hearing about and seeing other people's excitement around this and like what we can do with Elixir and streaming and video and processing and things like that. I think that's really exciting. It's not an area I have a lot of personal expertise in, but it's something I definitely want to learn more about and how it can work and what kind of ways I can use Elixir to leverage that to do interesting things like WebRTC. But before we jump in, Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself, like where you live and what kind of work you do. I'm based in Poland, especially in Krakow, which is a a second biggest city in Poland on the south. It's a city that until a few years ago, it was primarily known as one of the top tourist destinations in Europe. It has a beautiful medieval uh, castle and uh, and, uh, old town and all that stuff you can, you know, you know, from the uh, from the photos of old cities in Europe. Currently, it's growing as a as a local hub for startups. And honestly, like you have a software shop on every corner. And currently, it's even bigger than Warsaw, the capital of Poland. It's a really good place to run a business in the IT and uh, with a really vibrant community and really decent universities. This is where I live, but this is not the place where, where which is... I think the focus for us, I mean the membrane and the company behind the membrane, because we are the team which primarily works on the uh, US market. So I would say that we are a kind of enclave 
or exclave uh, <laughs> of the uh, Bay Area and uh, New York startups in the in Krakow. So when I was looking into more about you and the and the company behind it, I, I think it's called Software Mansion. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit more about what Software Mansion is? Well, we're an agency. We currently have a team which is uh, slightly larger than 100 people. Most of them are engineers. And uh, we operate for ni- nine years already. And we are rather quickly growing, like 30% every year. So I think what makes us distinct, because currently, as I said here, you have uh, plenty of companies like that, which have a, the, the whole business model is made on essentially selling cheaper developers from Eastern Europe to Western companies. But I think what makes us distinct is that we kind of escaped that because we are not only creating software for the clients, but we are also creators of technology, which is often used by other companies to make this software. And Membrane is not the only uh, example. Uh, I have to say, if it's not really Elixir uh, thing, but I have to say that the company was grown on being a very early adopter of React Native, which is, uh, you know, the, the standard way now to make mobile apps. Thanks to the fact that one of my business partners was working on Facebook, uh, on React Native in Facebook while it was still an internal project. So we have been doing this like two years before anyone else. So we quickly became the um, like the, the top place to go if you need a high-class consultancy in terms of React Native. We have a lot of expertise in creating uh, open source projects like this. We still contribute to the, to the React Native and we have libraries which have like 1 million downloads per week. Actually, Membrane is not only the only uh, open source project we do. And I think it's very different from most companies like this, which entirely focus on delivering some software and that's it. You know, they don't really do any R&D. They don't really do anything that push things forward. You know, they are just cheaper than, than their Western colleagues and that's it. Related to that, I saw recently there was a blog post and a software release from one of the developers at Software Mansion. It was for Web Caldev for Elixir. Yeah, I think it was released yesterday. Yeah, as of this recording, it'll be a little while ago. That's exciting because it's like, hey, you know, I saw there's this, maybe this library that I needed and I wasn't there. And so I created it and open sourced it. And it's put under the GitHub Software Mansion organization. So I think that kind of backs up what you're saying, how, you know, it's not just an agency that just turns out client products. It's like you're actively contributing and doing work in the community. Yeah, definitely. And not only in terms of Elixir, you know, there are many other areas where we do the same. We even have a companies that back us up financially. So we, we reach the stage where actually there are like big companies and I mean players such as uh, Shopify or Amazon and they are supporting us in this effort. So it's definitely helpful, you know, because we can observe how it grows and, you know, what are the challenges when it comes to maintaining the community. And obviously very, it's very different to make a technology such as React Native, which is rather mainstream right now. And and widespread and it's it's established and it has a, a, a huge evil corporation behind it um <laughs> then, then creating a, a, a rather niche tool for rather niche language despite all my love to elixir you know it's still uncomparable to what happens in the node.js community and so it's very different uh, but still you see certain patterns which are the same regardless of what type of open source thing you do uh, so it's definitely very helpful um, to have this. And and another thing is, which is cool, is that you know thanks to the fact that we are doing a pretty 
sophisticated uh, projects for our uh, clients, we do not really have to worry that much about the cash flow. So if we decide that something in membrane is important, we just can do this and we can afford this uh, without really worrying about the runway. Well, I'd love to start talking about membrane. And really, the first time I heard about membrane was when Connor Rigby, who's well known in the Elixir community for his work on nerves projects, where he was talking about membrane, Phoenix, and nerves together as a multimedia streaming project. Like that's where he was talking about most recently. It was really his excitement around the project that reminded me that I don't know enough about membrane. And I would love to learn about like, well, one, let's just talk about what is membrane. Like, is it a product? Is it a library or a service or a set of libraries? And I'd also like to learn, you know, just kind of from your perspective with Software Mansion, how did that get started? Like, was there a recognition of a need and, hey, we're going to go and take on an ambitious project like this? Before I jump into the history... You are not the only person who don't really get the, how it works. I, I might, maybe you, you remember the famous keynote uh, from uh, Jose <laughs> during one of the Elixir Conf. He was uh, making kind of a state of Elixir keynote and uh, and he was saying that there is this new project that new project another new project and there is this project called membrane i have no idea what it is <laughs> <laughs> but i'm really happy that there are totally new domains where elixir can be used and and we said it's awesome you know it's if you go into readme uh, in the membrane core repository this is the first things we link because i think this is the feeling that most developers have where when they first time have to do something with multimedia. And I don't mean doing something trivial, such as converting MP3 into Wave or vice versa, but I mean something proper. You start to learn and you immediately hit the wall, immediately. The learning curve is vertical. It's not steep, it's vertical. <laughs> and it takes a really long time before you you start to understand all the shortcuts, all the codecs, all the settings they can have, all the protocols. It's really full stack. You know, you really have to have understand uh, everything from networking through uh, really low level stuff uh, that you don't normally don't touch while doing like commercial applications. Performance issues are awful. Um, like everything is awful. Like regardless of what area you touch, it's very, very complicated. So it's understandable if someone has no clue what it does, unless first time you have to do something with multimedia, which is more complicated than just uh, converting A to B or using some uh, pre-made tool that already has some filters you need. How that happened? Um, the, the short story is that I was properly angry. Oh, let's be polite. Uh, because I was working on my startup. I used to have a startup which was doing software for radio broadcasting. I used to work in the radio and the, and the TV for quite a while. And actually on the other side, I was an editor-in-chief. So I had a deep understanding on, of, of what is needed to actually have a software that is useful for, for the radio. And I was working on this and actually Software Mansion was one of the investors. We lost a lot of money and a lot of time because of the, of the bugs in one of the very popular open source frameworks for making multimedia and streaming. And after, I don't know, fifth or sixth months, months of bug fixing, I said, no, it's not going to end ever. 
And I know how to do this better already, you know, thanks to all the lessons I learned while back fixing someone else's code. And I started to do Membrane. The first version I written by myself, then it, then, then it was passed to the team, uh, which is de developing this until today. I'm now no longer coding it um, by myself. Because the, the whole backend of the, of the application I was creating was made in Elixir, which was pretty fresh thing then. I said, okay, this is a, this is a good match. And certain uh, qualities of, of Elixir uh, are really good fit for telecommunications, obviously, because of its background and history in Erlang. That was the start, you know, that was made out of uh, frustration and, uh, and a need for a better tool. Especially that in broadcasting, you don't entirely need uh, to have a top performance, uh, but you need something that works 24-7. The priorities are different than in many other cases. And I think these priorities align very well with uh, Beam and uh, the whole Erlang ecosystem and finally uh, Elixir. So it sounds like you felt the priority of resilience and reliability in the beam was really a good fit and something that was really important for a system that works like this. Is that right? Yeah. In broadcasting, there is no tolerance for, for downtime. By means no tolerance, I mean that, you know, two seconds of uh, audio loss is uh, intolerable. So, yeah, I, I think this is something that was also the purpose and that was the goal while the Erlang, when Erlang was created years ago, and is the same. I mean, that regardless if you transmit, I don't know, uh, three, uh, th 3G network uh, calls or do you transmit a radio signal, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, the certain principles are the same and certain expectations are the same. So I said, okay, that sounds like a good fit. So then what is Membrane? Is it just an open source project or is there a library or a series of libraries? Kind of how would you introduce someone to what it is out of all these buzzwords i think the uh, still the framework is the best match internally it's it's split into dozens of of libraries and we try to keep them quite small we want to keep membrane very granular this is also because of the experiences with the uh, with this uh, other framework i mentioned where it ships with it in huge packages so even if you want to use one codec, you have to, in the default distribution, you have to fetch hundreds and, you know, it, it's an issue. I would say that currently it's a framework for Elixir developers willing to create a custom streaming or multimedia applications. By custom applications, I mean that I'll give you some examples of projects we've been asked for. For instance, we had a client who wanted to create a service that distributes music to the shops but it's uh, being fingerprinted on the fly. And this uh, fingerprinting technology was something that was proprietary and they wanted, that, that was the core of their business. So you need to process this, this audio in real time somehow and uh, you don't want to re-implement the generic parts such as uh, sending the audio or playing it on the computer, but you want to add a custom component that is going to um, add a fingerprint or check the, finger, check the fingerprint. The another case we had is, for instance, uh, it's an application that records interviews and sends them to one of the cloud services for uh, speech-to-text analysis to make some further uh, NLP recognition. And 
there was a need for a certain tool that will pre-process this audio before it gets transmitted to this uh, cloud uh, AI and then assemble it back with uh, something else and so on and so on. This is a sort of the pro of projects you uh, you know you you can build using membrane. Obviously, you can do something more generic, such as let's say stream the radio, right? So you can say, let's say take a, a bunch of MP3 files and assemble them into stream, and then send it somewhere using some protocol. We have been building uh, something like a Twitch clone last year based on membrane. People were able to stream from their phones the live stream and it was distributed, you know, to, to viewers and it was more or less like Twitch, but it was built for a certain class of users or certain business domain. We had all this processing uh, while the stream was going through the server because in order to be scalable, we had to convert it from one format. It was, it was coming from the phone to another format that was uh, highly scalable. And for instance, we needed to extract the still frames. So if someone opens the app, they can see some uh, previews of the streams. And all that had to happen in the real time. So if you want to build Twitch using Membrane, you can build Twitch in Membrane. You can, If you want to have a YouTube in Membrane, you can build in YouTube in Membrane. But this is all, this all sorts of applications uh, you can, you, you, if you are building, you can use Membrane. But currently it is limited to Elixir. So the whole API is Elixir. The whole code base is Elixir plus tons of C. That's it. But the long-term vision is uh, definitely broader. We want to make membrane way easier to use from different technologies. I don't want to reveal very specific plans right now, but uh, maybe, okay, I'm not okay with plans. I don't want to talk about dates. For instance, I imagine membrane as a generic WebRTC server, which you can just deploy using pre-built Docker image just to embed a video chat in your app without thinking how it works. And if you want to customize it, for instance, you want to put the video streams through the AI, uh, you want to uh, make an overlay, you want to uh, record it, you know, do whatever with the streams, then you can unpack it and you can code the custom part by yourself because it's still a framework. It's not a black box. But if you don't want to go into these details, you know, you can just fetch it, run it access it over high-level API from any language, and it still works. In the long-term vision, there is a space for wide range of applications uh, made not only in Elixir. But still, if you, want to have, if you want to customize it, it will be Elixir. That sounds really interesting. You mentioned like having a deployable version of Membrane. That, that reminds me a little bit of Jitsi. And Jitsi wasn't uh, wasn't a thing that I knew about until until a year ago, <laughs> when when everybody had to be on on you know video conferencing. Yeah, so so you, we 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 will probably prepare uh, a ver like a, it's going to be something uh, like a distribution of membrane. Oh, this mm -hmm. is, I think that's the right right way to call it. We are going to create a sample Jitsi in membrane. <laughs> let's say let's call it like that. And prepare it as a pre-made container. For these who just want to launch it, they just want to talk to it over some API and they don't really care how it works. But if someone wants to do something more custom, it will be still doable. I can say that it will be way more configurable than anything else on the market. Because the, the level of how you can access the stream inside Membrane is uh, very different to approaches found in other products. 
you will be essentially able to inject any type of pipeline, we call it pipeline, you know, that pro processes the stream inside such a tool, still while maintaining the, the, the high level code. Because, you know, obviously you can do this in Jitsi as long as you love to, uh, you know, go deep into Java and operate on frames. You can do this in any software. You can do this, uh, you know, using FFmpg as long as you like uh, writing, you know, C and handling buffers manually. So we want to find a balance between being able to customize it relatively quickly and being able to not to go into deep into details, all these nasty details in multimedia. Intersecting with desktop audio for a second, this sounds like you're building like Pulse Audio or Pipewire or Core Audio on Mac, but for the web or web-enabled, is is that fair to say? Because it sounds like you're as customizable as those like OS built-in kind of kind of stream handling of of audio and video, but you're applying at least in my head, you're applying a, a a web application, you know, or not web application, but you're applying a various ways and enabling the web to apply to these these streams i see your point but uh, i would approach that differently we don't hide that the streamer uh, was huge inspiration for us despite all the facts uh, all the bad things i said about it like previously <laughs> um but in terms of design uh, i really appreciate how it's structured you know and the level of abstraction it provides it's very well uh, done i mean that it's not too high not too low you know you can access all the knobs if you need but you don't have to worry about them like most of the time and that feeling is okay what was not okay is that it was a, a framework built on the wrong foundation because it was built for desktop. You know, the original idea to make GStreamer was to make a, a toolkit to create a desktop applications using multimedia in GNOME. The goal was to nicely integrate with the APIs and the libraries and all the stuff that is already used uh, in GTK uh, and GNOME and all that, you know, family of technologies which are not really what you use if you are developing a web applications, which is not yeah. really what you use if you want to develop an application that scale. By definition, that it does not scale because it runs on your desktop. You know, you have one desktop. Right. Um, so the design is nice, but the implementation, I think, is not aligned with the requirements of, of the modern web. <laughs> uh, so essentially, we wanted to create something similar in terms of feeling but aligned with the requirements of the modern web. So something that you can quickly hook to a certain API, you can quickly deploy on many servers, you can uh, scale horizontally, that does not have all this, uh, you know, the, the ballast from of the old libraries that were are well-suited for the desktop, but to totally ill-suited for the, for the cloud, which is prepared for scaling because, for instance, Glib has significant issues with scaling. The whole threading model and the concurrency is, is like, you know, it's, it's not how you do this. If you want to compare this to some desktop uh, solutions, I would say that the right comparison is to GStreamer. Any attempt to integrate such an app created in GStreamer or FM, FFmpg or whatever else with the modern web stack. So for instance, you want to have a, a nice MVC framework that, you know, you use and that talks over GraphQL to your, I don't know, React frontend and stuff like this. And then you want to easily connect all the bits together. Uh, you know, if you want to use the other technologies, it really quickly becomes painful. Essentially, this multimedia stack becomes an alien 
So you wrap it into black box, you know, with tiny mm-hmm. holes where you put some APA endpoints and that's it. And, <laughs> and it's over. It quickly becomes something very, very separated from rest of your stack, very hard to maintain, very hard to inspect. You know, one of the biggest issues I had when I was debugging these applications uh, was that actually I can't really check what is going on when it crashes. You know, I can yeah. make this, uh, this stack traces, you know, and, and analyze these core files and it takes ages. You know, if you compare this to the ability to be able to inspect what is happening in the, you know, Elixir in the runtime, it's like time travel, you know. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like how I treat image magic when I have to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have yeah. To awesome do, do example. Images. I know that there's these two flags that I need. That's kind of it. And that's all I give back myself access to in, in the application. And in 90% of cases, you run it as a sub process. You don't even yep. run it as a library because it leaks. And so, you know, you, you just run it as a sub sub process and forget. And, um, and this is how 90% of users of FFMPG looks like. And, yep. you know, this is what you most, in most cases you do with the streamer and all that, all that stuff. So we want to do this differently. We want to have it like seamlessly integrated with the rest of your app and you can just send the message from your pipeline to your, to your live view and vice versa. It just talks to each other. And this is achievable in Elixir. I know that uh, a lot of folks, a lot of listeners, you know, we, we talked about Pipewire and Pulse Audio and like nobody probably knows what that is. <laughs> Us Linux users do. But I know that a lot of, uh, especially web developers, are probably just thinking like, okay, well, I just call something and it works and my audio comes out of my speakers and that's kind of it. Yeah. So from the perspective of like web developers, since this is developed, you know, with, with that perspective in mind, I see two opportunities here and maybe you can help fill it, fill it in for the rest of us. I see a big opportunity for WebRTC, like you mentioned. And that membrane can help with that. And as soon as you start talking about WebRTC and live like sockets of data and on the web, instantaneously, you're going to think about LiveView. So tell me what is in your mind, like the perfect fit for membrane. And then maybe like if that is WebRTC, how does WebRTC membrane and other frameworks like, like Phoenix come into play? How can they play? Before I jump into this, I'll put some structure into this. There are two groups of people who do the same and they call it totally differently. Uh, One (laughs) group of people is uh, responsible for creating applications that I would call uh, legacy telecommunication applications. So for instance, all this radio industry, uh, television industry, where they do a lot of streaming processing and it's all hidden. I mean that there is an army of people working on the system all the time. You don't see it, you know, you, you turn on the TV and it somehow works, but you don't really see it. You don't see all these internal systems they use, this like hundreds of formats they have to handle and stuff like this. And they are also a group of people that might be interested in using membrane, but not for web because they don't care about the web because their work is hidden. And the fun thing is that they often use this different, even different shortcuts for the same things, you know, I mean, that the same technology in that industry can be called differently than the same technology in, in the web. So indeed, we have kind of two parallel paths. And if I'm talking to someone from the from this broadcasting industry, I use different language than when I talk with the, you know, to, to, to someone who is willing to build a, a YouTube clone. It's funny that there is so huge cultural difference between these two groups, even if they do essentially the same, technically speaking. But we want to please both. And WebRTC 
is indeed aimed at uh, pleasing people oriented on web because you can't do anything with multimedia on web without WebRTC in practice. And in practice, I imagine Membrane as the way to go if you want to embed the video chat uh, with custom logic in your application. I'll refer the, the discussion I had today with one of my clients. He's responsible for creating um, a system for a local, it's not a government, it's kind of a council for uh, dealing with the medical cases. And these people meet every, like every week or two, and they have certain things to do regarding the medical cases here in Poland, like the pharmacy, uh, slash drugs, slash stuff, stuff like this. And obviously had, they had to switch to be remote during the pandemic. And they had certain systems that allows them to vote online. Uh, so if they, if they gather and they vote, uh, they, they, they have a system that allows to do this online, but it's relatively simple. But if they want to have a chat, they had to go to Zoom or they had to go to any other tool like that. And they don't want to do this. They want to have a video, video that is integrated straight into the app. So if they sign in, they see the panel, they see the, uh, the motions, they see the agenda, they can discuss it and they want to vote uh, without leaving the app. So I see Membrane as a tool for embedding something like this in your application in one day, let's say. So you grab something that's pre-compiled, you customize it uh, using very high-level API, you implement a custom workflow because it's going to be designed in a way where you can create a, a custom set of rules. For instance, what moderator can do, what they cannot do, you know, what the participant can do, what they cannot do, or stuff like this. It's very hard to customize existing solutions in such terms. And if you need a mobile app because of our background React Native, you, for instance, have a ready component for React Native and you just plug this all together and it works and it's inside your app. So this is where I see the future of Membrane in terms of people who are interested in making web applications or mobile applications. But I mean, there's people who are interested in the internet, not in the broadcasting. Gotcha. So I can Silicon Valley this and I can say that you want to be the stripe, but for audio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somehow. But still, we don't want to create this as a SaaS platform. I think it's important. We want to keep this as open source and we make it able to, to deploy on your own infrastructure. I can say for sure that we will not go into making own platform, but definitely uh, core of membrane will remain free and open on very liberal license. So definitely you will be able to deploy it on your infrastructure, which is important in terms of being cost effective. Because if I see the also the current landscape, you see that there are certain solutions for WebRTC such as Janus or Jitsi. Okay, they are established projects and they are like they are battle tested. They are not necessarily well written, but they are working. But it's not easy to deploy them in scale and customizing them can be an awful task. I know because we have been doing this in the company several times. <laughs> and on the other hand, you have a certain services such as uh, provided by AWS, which are super expensive and they charge you for every megabyte, which is really a, sometimes a deal breaker in terms of multimedia where, you know, the, the bill for traffic alone can kill your company. I remember that we had a, a project a few years ago where the client was had the infrastructure on on uh, on certain uh, SaaS service 
at this time, that was time before the FaceTime allowed to have multiple participants, like uh, I think 16 or, or something like this. So they made something like FaceTime, but with 16 participants. And that was wow, a few years ago. And the company was almost killed by bills. They, they came to us with the question how we can migrate away from this infrastructure because we can't handle this, you know, and we had a limited time period where we can shift the software to something custom. And we did that. Uh, that was before Membrane, but it was also a valuable experience. And uh, But thanks to this, I know how it's important, how important it is that, especially in terms of video streaming, you really have to count money. You know, we, we are used to the fact nowadays that all these cloud services are cheap and, you know, you just, you know, you just put the database here, database there, you know, and you don't really worry because the, the cost of the services is still a fraction of your cost of development and stuff and marketing or whatever. But it's not true in multimedia. This is a, a domain where you still have to count costs. So I think one of our offerings will be that it will be not only prepackaged it will be also deployable on your own infrastructure something you said there really stuck out to me about it being open source and wanting to make it accessible to people who are coming new to it like having that docker instance that i can just throw up you know you're talking about like when you come into multimedia and you're new to it like there's this there's a wall of learning that you have to get through just to be able to to contribute to it or to to understand it I think it's really cool that you guys are saying, hey, we understand this and we want to give you a higher level API so that you can start doing this. And so I guess one of my questions is, if someone wants to get started with Membrane and they're new to multimedia, right? They don't have a lot of experience understanding all the different codecs, WebRTC, all the different exchanges that have to happen to, to be able to set up the stream. If that's the situation, what do you think is a good way that they can start? Is there any particular guides that you could point to to say... You know, look at this for this membrane example to jump in and get going with something. We have our own guide. It's uh, in the official documentation. And so far, the feedback is uh, good. So it really allows people to start. It's still not something I envision. I would say that I'm talking a lot, a lot today about the future. And uh, all these visions about, you know, being able to deploy it like in 30 seconds are still the future. It's not distant future, but it's uh, still in progress. I would say that we are hiding this complexity over time. So if you go now to the guide, you can still see some pretty low-level stuff. I mean that you at least need to understand what MP3 is. Okay, <laughs> you you don't necessarily need to go into go deeper. And if you want to encode the file, you don't need to I don't know make any strange calls to the encoder, you know, you just have to feed data and it works. So already some of the complexity is hidden, but there is more to go. Definitely when it comes to WebRTC. So for instance, right now, if you want to create a WebRTC application in Membrane, you still have to understand more or less, for instance, how the negotiation of the peers works so that there is something called ICE that does the connectivity establishment and it essentially checks how the data can be transmitted between peers and only then the data is uh, you know sent somewhere else and if you want to for instance turn the video of uh, into grayscale before it send it back to other peers you still have to somehow understand how the data flows in the webrtc but what we are working at is to create an another layer on top of this so kind of abstraction layer over abstraction layer because membrane is an abstraction layer, but itself, you ask what is it, it is an abstraction layer. 
it's something like Ecto, okay? Despite, regardless, if you talk to MySQL or Postgres, you use the same interface. So here, regardless, if you use uh, want to encode audio as an MP3 or, I don't know, WAV, you use more or less the same interface. But still, you have to understand the differences, okay? And we want to create something even, like, higher than this. So, for instance, if you create a WebRTC application, I imagine that all you have to do is to implement a module with certain callbacks, and the callbacks are such as handle joint, handle disconnected, handle data loss, handle muted, you know, something that is, uh, like, really understandable. And just by returning the, the proper value, you can say, okay, uh, allow this participant, disallow this participant, or, or deny, or broadcast this information that someone is muted over Phoenix channels. What we are working right now is this abstraction layer on top of existing membrane stack that is going to hide all these pipelines and all this, how it works internally, at least for the most, most generic cases, such as uh, having a video conference room, because obviously you can't handle all cases like that. But let's say that there are two or three cases which are the most popular and uh, video conference is the most popular out of them. So um, for this, you will just have a library you know, uh, a few behaviors to implement and uh, magic happens. That's the idea. And even if this is too, level, too low level for you, <laughs> we will provide the pre-built Docker image that gives you an API over it. You know, you can implement these callbacks in some third-party service that communicates over HTTP and it will still work. That's really exciting. So if people are looking to get involved and help with building some of those higher level abstractions, maybe they do have some familiarity with some of these multimedia processing of streams and things. And they're like, yes, I see the value of this. I want this to exist also. Are you guys looking for contributions? Definitely. Especially given that uh, after we released first version of WebRTC, first of all, we uh, we were flooded by questions from our clients if they can use it. So some of the team currently is working on the project, implementing the membrane in, in client's project. So we had to split forces um, and that leaves a little less room for membrane itself, at least temporarily. And the second thing is that, you know, our perspective is not the only valid perspective. For instance, I have to admit that before I read this blog post about uh, running membrane on nerves, I never considered this to be like a... I obviously thought that, oh, it might be a use case, you know, but I've never got anything in my hand that was running nerves. Like I read about the project, I'm aware of the project, but I never ever did anything in my life in IoT. You know, this is not how my career was structured. You know, it is not by choice. You know, it just happened. You know, so obviously I have no perspective that someone who is working on IoT devices and is using nerves can have. So at least for that reason, to avoid going the wrong direction, the direction or being stuck with some ideas that are valid only for certain use cases, yes, definitely we need some input. And sometimes even this perspective might be more important than uh, than actual piece of code uh, that someone writes. So I, I'm I'm very happy that this uh, this blog post uh, was written and and that for us that was an eye opener. Um, and I imagine that there are more cases like this. Um, one of the things that I think it's important in how we work is that because of this combination of a, of a product within a company which is doing services, 
And a lot of Widow is uh, services in multimedia and not only membrane. We are pretty fluent with, I think, all available technologies. Is that we see what the clients really want. So when we design something in membrane, regardless if it's a, a decision that the next goal will be this or the this API should be structured in such a way, it is all based on the real life scenarios. I know certain tools in this domain which are awesome when you look at the tech spec, but if you want to use them in the real life project, you see the person never ever did a real project where, you know, you you just see that the API is like, that there are some certain obvious misses. Like, you know, you, you totally expect certain parameter to be here and it's not there. You totally expect that certain thing can be do, done over, I don't know, this call and it's not available because of something, you know, or or you have to make five calls where you expect to make one, you know, you, you, you just see that. And we want to avoid this. So we are totally driven by the demand. And if the, that demand comes from the community, it's awesome. If it comes from clients, it's awesome. But the bottom line is that we want to be driven by the demand. We are not doing this because we have too much free time and no one needs that. You know, we, we, we have a constant line of people waiting for it. So, and they give us direction. I need this. I need that. And this is super important. And I think it's the key to avoid creating an open source project that looks like an artwork, but it's useless. Did membrane start? more focused on audio in the earlier days of the framework? Definitely, yeah, because it was a spin-off from this uh, radio broadcasting startup. The first version supported only audio, not by design, because by design, it, you know, you can fit any sort of data, not necessarily multimedia, you can process any streams. But uh, the first set of uh, what we call elements, uh, which are these plugins that allow you to do some operations, uh, were entirely focused on audio. Then in the second version, I think we added video, but then uh, the framework was still uh, not capable of synchronizing these two because there was no concept of clock and uh, timing. And then that was added. So uh, we created mechanisms that allow you to control the flow of the streams. And then it became, start to become fully, f fully functional and, um, and it became more uh, about uh, making it more mature than adding some core features. That's great. I, a couple of years ago, worked at a company doing some video live streaming. And I remember looking at Membrane and being sad that it was only audio at the time. And so <laughs> things could have certainly gone differently had we yeah. done this company a little later in time, I guess. Honestly speaking, I have the same feeling about the startup that is a yeah. reason why Membrane was created, but you know, I cannot reverse the history. I also, I would also say that the, it probably would have been much more success, successful if, um, if Membrane was in place, um, uh, these years ago. So one of the things that you'd mentioned before was this idea that it's open source and you want people to be able to use it and build their own systems. And you mentioned this idea of, you know, not really wanting to make it a SaaS. Cause you mentioned this idea like of a client you were talking to where they were talking about medical and pharmaceutical, you know, being able to vote. And I just know in many different countries, and, and I'm in the US, and so I know in the US, we have like HIPAA regulations, where like, if it's doctor provider kind of conversations, there's, there's restrictions around privacy and compliance, and things like that. And so I, I was just going to suggest to you that being able to provide a yes, I can build my own system. But hey, if I can pay you to give me a hosted already validated as 
being compliant service, that is something people would be willing to pay for. Well, actually, one of the projects I mentioned, uh, it is a medical project. So we already checked this out. In that case, the project, that was this project that was doing uh, speech-to-text recognition. It was about medical records. And obviously, it had to be compliant. Uh, but it was made in such a way that it was uh, hosted in the cloud that gave the compliance for the servers and uh, in, the, in the isolated subnet and you know stuff like this. And thanks to the fact that you can deploy membrane on your own infrastructure, mm. it's enough if your provider gives you the compliance. Because you know the the requirements for the compliance ends at the let's say at the server. If the server is compliant, everything inside we can call it's compliant. So I don't think it's necessary for uh, for us. I think thank you for the hint. You have a good intuition, but the implementation is slightly different. But yeah, this is one of the reasons why uh, I believe that keeping it open source and being able to deploy it on your own infrastructure is a critical. We have an ongoing uh, project which is aimed at, at the public institutions and they have to keep this on, you know, on their own, uh, like infrastructure, you know, they, they cannot rely on the private providers, you know, the, at least in Poland, the government has their own cloud, you know, and stuff like this. So, mm. so there are certain regulations that, you know, in some cases, indeed being able to use it on your own infrastructure is critical, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to be the ones who provide the infrastructure. It's different business, to be honest. I like that. That does make total sense. You know, it's about from AWS, if I can get a, you know, they have servers, I believe. Yeah, you can. Authorize a certain level of compliance. And yeah. it sounds the same thing exists in Poland. So that does make sense. And if I can host it myself. That's good enough that, that, that we say, hey, you can take it, you can deploy it wherever you want, including your own uh, server. And this is already uh, something that is uh, that's super cool. I don't think that makes us very different from different uh, another open source projects, right? It's not something very unique, you know. the The whole point is that because I don't want to come back to this question about SaaS. I don't say we are not going to provide SaaS, you know, but it's not that we are against SaaS. I think in our cases, it's it's an option mostly for early startups who want to uh, make things running as soon as possible. And for me, it's more about business offering than technological advantage because sometimes i would i like to compare membrane the idea for membrane because still it's on the go to to what rails did ruby on rails did to the startup industry the reason why i don't know 10 15 years ago all startups switched to ruby on rails it's not because it was superior because it was very it, 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 it is infancy so it wasn't superior and it was slow and, you know, and it, you know what I mean? There were no developers uh, for Ruby. You, you know what I mean? You know, it, it, there, there was a certain reason why the industry switched to Rails because it has quicker time to market than previous technologies, period. No one was interested in the technological, I mean, no one who is actually giving money for all the projects was interested in whether the syntax is that or that, you know, like they don't care. But the, what do they care is that, you know, whether you can create a prototype in six months or three weeks. And what Rails did is that they cut this time significantly. This is the same what happened with React uh, in recent years uh, when it comes to front-end development. It really significantly cut development times. We want to do the same with Membrane, like that if you want to uh, deploy something that needs to use the multimedia, 
the time to market should be cut significantly. Recently, we have been doing, like last year, we have been doing a project that was, let's say, a Google Meet clone. And it wasn't based on Membrane because Membrane still had no WebRTC at this point. Um, so we based it on another open source uh, WebRTC uh, solution. And we spent three months of five developers just to deploy it properly, orchestrate it, prepare for horizontal scalability. You know what I mean? It's a, it's wasted time. It should not be like that. It should not really not be like that, you know? It's not 21st century like approach. So this is the objective, you know, um, and I think it's important and maybe disappointing to you, to this, the listeners, uh, which are probably mostly developers, but we are really business oriented in our thinking about membrane that we love Elixir and we love the underlying technology, but we'd never forget that it's a tool for something else. And that's important. And if I'm talking about that, we want to make the learning curve less vertical. It's also because we know that it helps. It helps with adoption. It allows to speed, uh, make things running quickly. It eases to find developers for your project because we know how hard it is to find developers who know anything about multimedia because we hire them constantly. <laughs> and it's super hard. It's super hard to find a dev like a regular developer Needless to say, how hard it is to find someone who knows anything about multimedia. If I say that we would like to make this uh, uh, learning curve uh, uh, flatter, it's, it's because it solves the business problem behind recruitment, not because we are ideologists. Sorry to say that. <laughs> we try to solve real life business problems uh, with this technology. And I think that's the long, in something that's in the long term, can make it successful because I, my imagination is that other projects are entirely focused on the tech stack. You know, they are like people, things made by, by programmers for programmers, but without this overview that, okay, man, this, this is used in a broader context. I really like that perspective. I think of myself as a developer, you know, I have ideas for companies or business or just a product. And you're right. Like in today's world, with COVID and everything where every, a lot of stuff was pushed to be multimedia needed, right? Like definitely virtual and remote, but interactive and responsive. It kind of compressed that whole timeline and need. So I'm excited by the idea of saying, hey, there's a, now a way that I can take some of that, that feature set that I want to bring to my product, to my company, and I can do it and I can be the hero. I can deliver this in like, Two weeks where instead of like two months, you know, yeah. like on that time scale. This is the driver. If I have a meetings with my team, uh, Mateusz, who is a city, CTO of the project right now, and if you want to have a, a, a deeply technical talk about Membrane, you know, he's the guy to go. Uh, I think it will be really inspiring. Um, but my perspective is uh, how to make that useful. And this is my, my whole job in this project right now. You know, I, I coded the first version by myself, so I deeply understand the problem. Uh, but my job is, you know, how to make this nicer to use than other, uh, other solutions, because there are other solutions, obviously. And what is important, we do not aim making at, at making membrane a good fit for everything. Like, so for instance, if you are, and we state this openly in the, in the, uh, in the documentation at the first page, that if you, for instance, want to have a application that is super performant and you use, utilize your resources, you know, as much as you can, 
probably membrane is not the way to go because it will be always slower than others because it has a virtual machine, you know. So you, you will be never, a, regardless of how much time we are going to put into performance optimization, you know, or profiling, you know, it will be never as fast as, uh, I don't know, C++ uh, counterpart. And recently I had a conversation on Twitter where someone created a Clubhouse clone and put it on GitHub. And I noticed that they used something else for, for WebRTC. And I suggested, hey, maybe you can use Membrane. And the first question was, oh, nice project, but how performant is it if it's written in Elixir? Okay, it's it's a valid perspective for a developer, but in most cases, it's invalid perspective for a business owner. The The business owner thinks, okay, can I deliver this in two weeks or two months, you know? And if it's uh, less performant, probably I can throw 20 extra virtual machines because it's cheap. So, uh, and the framework allows you to do so because, you know, it's free. You can deploy it in your infrastructure. So these perspectives are different and uh, we try to stick to the one of the business owner. I also like though how you mentioned previously, which I think goes along with that. There's a trade-off of raw performance over reliability of the entire system. Not only reliability, uh, being able to inspect, for instance, this is super important in such applications, or being able to extend it quickly, customize it, you know, to your needs, or without, uh, you know, deeping, diving into like some cryptic code uh, written 10 years ago or by some, you know, uh, superheroes of multimedia. So <laughs> being able to customize it quickly or being able to seamlessly integrate it with the rest of your stack. So as I said, so for instance, if something happens with the multimedia, you can just pass the message to the channel or I don't know, GraphQL subscription and, you know, magic it's in the front end. Uh, you know, so it's not only about the reliability. There are many other benefits, which in my, my experience are, I'm working with startups. What we do are only startups. We see how these companies grow and fail and mostly fail. And, uh, <laughs> like it happened with startups. And I have never seen a startup who failed because of the performance issues in the early stage, honestly. But I've seen startups which failed because they ran out of cash because something took six months instead of three. That makes sense. Well, Martin, thank you very much for coming and joining us and talking about membrane and really kind of it sounds like it's been a passionate process for you where you created this out of a personal need and you're making an effort to help and bring it to the wider audience i personally appreciate the efforts to make it more accessible to people who aren't like you said the developers who already understand multimedia right yeah i really appreciate that because that's that's who i am right i'm one of those guys who's like yeah i'm i'm a, an experienced developer I can use multimedia for different things, but I'm not deep in it. I, I really don't understand it at that deep level. Bringing in a tool that says, hey, you don't have to, and you can still have something that's really cool and, and be able to deliver something that's meaningful and brings value to the company. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for coming on and talking with us. Where would you direct people to go to get in touch with you online or follow the project? If you go to our website, which is uh, www.membraneframework.org, there is an email which is uh, this info at uh, membraneframework.org, which is read by a few people in the company. So even if I'm off or I'm going to be hit by the bus, someone is going to read it. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle is M-S-P-A-N-C. There is a Discord channel where most of the developers are uh, looking at during uh, their work hours. So if you want to get in touch with us or you need some help uh, or you need some advice, you know, feel free to feel free to 
join the Discord channel. If you want to reach me out personally, uh, I think my email can be published uh, along with the along with the podcast. It's not hidden, or you can just write to the company, and it's going to get to my inbox. Yeah, definitely for newcomers, it's also uh, important to read the guide. It's in the docs, and uh, we made the effort to make it as easy to read and understand as it can be, especially in the context of current stage of the project you know it's going to evolve and 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 be bigger we have a lot of demos there is a growing set of 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 demos on the github so if you go to our github and see the repository called membrane demo well that's all the time we have for today thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us next time on thinking elixir if these interviews are helping you please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use or on your social media so others can discover the show more easily.